Have you thought about becoming a career coach, but not sure what it's really like? Not sure how to get started? Well, we've got you covered. Let's drop into this week's conversation of how to become a career coach. All right, everybody, welcome back to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. I'm super excited about our chat today, but I'm even more excited to have one of our most special guests, Jennifer Stokes, here with us today. I know in the last episode, we were talking about, you know, Scott had his two favorite people in the entire world. It was both myself and Jennifer. And I, I don't know if there was a competition to who see who the most favorite person was. But on that note, more of our chat today is I'm just super excited to have Jennifer here. She's one of the most experienced and talented coaches that I know. And we are lucky enough to have her part of our team in a coaching capacity, coaching a lot of our clients and students who go through our programs. But also sneak peek is she is a facilitator and teaches our professional career coach training and certification class. So we wanted to bring her on here, show her experience, show her talent, show her strengths. And I've got her top five too that I wanted to read off to all you before we get started. But also give a little bit of behind the scenes of what we teach as part of our program, but some actionable insights that you can take away today for becoming an awesome career coach. So Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me, Philip. It's, I, we always have great conversations. Why not record them, right? Uh, <laughs> we should maybe hit the record button even more in our conversations, but I don't know if people would be like, really? I don't know. <laughs> But I'm super excited and wanted to dive in. And before I do, before we hit the record button, Jennifer, uh, let me know her top five strengths. And I'll also share with you mine, just in case you guys want to know. But Jennifer's top five strengths are strategic, ideation, woo, that's winning over others, if you haven't heard that one before, futuristic, and connectedness. And mine are relator, learner, achiever, maximizer, and ideation. So we share a lot of the ideation strengths. And this is Strength Finders 2.0, the Gallup strengths. If you haven't heard about it, go out, get your test and get your top five strengths. But we're actually going to dive into a little bit later in this podcast about how you specifically work with your clients and how to identify their strengths, but also make your calls the most effective. And that's kind of where I want to start out. So my, my question for you and looking at kind of how wanting to get into your insight and your expertise and really breaking down those coaching conversations that we have with all of our clients, but essentially what we teach in our programs. And I know Jennifer, she does lots of conversations all the time with our clients, but you work with tons of clients, both in Happy to Your Career, but also outside of Happy to Your Career. Mm -hmm. So I guess my first question for you is when looking to start a conversation or get prepped for it, or when you're about ready to to start your coaching conversation, what's the very first thing that you do before you go into a coaching conversation? Well, that's a great question because I know what I would like to do (laughs) and I don't always do it, but honestly, it really starts with the beginning of the day Hmm. where I take time and center myself. I do some creative things in the morning 
I tend to not take clients until 10 o'clock because that creative uh, self-care time where I might read and journal and kind of wake up and prepare for the day actually is really critical. As coaches, we spend almost all of our time listening. So you want to come, especially in the day of Zoom, when you have to be totally focused right on for a good 45 minutes to an hour, you want to come with the energy of being ready to be totally focused on someone else. Mm. And so when you give yourself that time in the morning, at least for me, I'm not an early riser. That is the very first thing I do. As I prepare for the call, maybe I've gotten an agenda from the client. Maybe I've looked at their accountability worksheet Mm. to see what they have done, what their questions might be. And generally, I've been noodling who they are and what they want all week. Whether I send them an email about what I'm thinking or not, I'm always configuring it in my head with respect to their strengths. So I always try to pull up their strengths, have it right in front of me. And from the very first moment of our coaching call, start to understand where and how their strengths are showing up as I listen as actively as I can. Mm. So it's interesting. First, let me actually say the first time I think maybe on this podcast, because you've been on the, hap- the uh, How to Become a Career, Co- uh, Career Coach podcast before, but maybe the first time we've used the word noodling. So I want to first acknowledge that. So I appreciate that. But second of all, you know, it breaks down into two different parts as far as the preparation. First, you know, we're preparing the notes and like all those things that you would think you need to prepare, like the agenda, like what are we exactly talking about? How are we sending the agenda? What are their priorities? What are your priorities? And that's super important because it's really, as coaches, it's our job to make sure we're holding the most important thing up in front of them and make sure that they know that, we know that, and that we've acknowledged it. But I think you also hit on something that also most people don't talk about, and it's your own energy and how it's so, so much in that preparation of the hours, maybe even the day before of coming into a conversation and being completely present and bringing that energy of a coach where your client's seeking that guidance, but also that you're focused, you're present, and you're listening. And being in that moment during a session takes a lot of energy. So that prep work on the upfront is crucial. Mm -hmm. I have worked in outplacement before Mm -hmm. where it was 30-minute calls back-to-back, back-to-back. And it was very stressful because I personally, with the number of strategic thinking strengths I have, did not have the space between clients to kind of reset myself, have a few minutes by myself to think about what was discussed, and then prepare for the next client. So Mm. um, ultimately, that didn't work for me. So it happened to your career. We have 45-minute sessions with a nice 15-minute break unless that session goes over. And that sets me up to kind of close out the last one, the last session on my own terms and be ready for the next, if they are back to back. And I don't always have that scheduled that way. And that's just the way I operate. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the best things as a coach 
or at least a coach in these capacities is you have the ability to set your own schedule. And the ability to set your own schedule also means that you can set your own energy. And for a lot of people, we're recording this on April 1st, right in the middle of the COVID-19, everything going on. So for many people working from home now, they're setting their own schedules, but you get to set your own energy and your focus. And especially as coaches, especially in this, say, part one of this preparation process, that we are really being intentional about our energies coming in. But if you've got back-to-back calls, you've got to take a break. You've got to go eat. You might have to go to the bathroom. You might have to just go take a walk outside and go away. That's mm-hmm. super important. So um, having that prep and coming in to right at the beginning of the session makes a ton of sense. So when you start working with a client and right at the beginning of the session, how do you set the stage and you mentioned the agenda. Are you the person setting the agenda or is the client setting the agenda or is it both? Well, it kind of depends on where we are in the process. Ideally, the client always sets the agenda in one way or another. And my role, especially at the very beginning of the session, is to hold space for the client. So the idea of holding space has been used in a lot of different scenarios and settings and aspects. In other words, I like to, I prefer to give the client space to do a little bit of an emotional brain dump. Mm -hmm. I don't let it go too long. And then I can read their energy. Mm -hmm. And certainly in this time period we are in where everyone's staying at home for better or worse, it's tough. And especially validating early on any struggles that they might be feeling, whether it's this crisis or just in general. When you start out a session with validation and they know that you're listening, you have actually drawn the neural pathways of the fight or flight brain up into the prefrontal cortex so that they can think strategically. And that's the very first thing you want to do in any conversation. Again, Jennifer's bringing in all of the scientific work and the prefrontal cortex. So I super appreciate that because I think for a lot of us coaches getting into this space, like knowing those science terms and more of how the brain works, especially when we are coming to this is super critical. And for a lot of people, we're setting the agenda right in the upfront and holding that into importance. And you mentioned something in the last part about this is one behind the scenes thing that I know Jennifer does is she has an accountability sheet that she has her clients individually fill out before they come into their sessions. And it's another thing to make sure that they're completing their action items from the last session, I imagine, but also that they going into the next session that you're bringing that momentum to. So Mm -hmm. something that I do by seeing a lot of coaches do is this, what is so important about how we kind of layer this depths in the process is we really bring into sending the prep work uh, from the having them send over materials, working in that accountability sheet or having them send updates along the way is also knowing that we're setting the agenda right at the upfront about what's going to be the most important in our conversation today. And kind of also validating that I know that and you know that, but also we're validating their energy from the last session or the last time we met them. Sometimes they come to the session and they're like, yeah, I completed everything. I did so great. Look at me. They've got their chest all puffed out. And sometimes they come to the conversation and they're like, I had the worst week ever. Nobody responded to any of the LinkedIn messages I sent. I feel like my resume sucks. I don't feel like I'm enough when I'm going to this new industry or whatever 
And it doesn't matter who you are, what level that you are. It's important to really acknowledge that feeling, or at least I imagine that right at the beginning of the session too, and set the stage for really what's going to be the most important for the 45 minutes, the hour, the two hours, however long you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that because some of the language that I use around that, Philip, is I want to make sure that I honor your agenda today. Mm -hmm. Mm. what's top of mind or what would be the most impactful thing that you and I could work through today. Mm. So part of my view is there's a lot of worksheets in happen to your career and they're wonderful. However, I'm not the school teacher that grades them. Yeah. So I really, it's, I want them to distill on their own and create clarity before they come for this magic 45 minutes so that they have done that work. So they know what's really important. That's super important. We're going to talk about that in the latter part of making sure they're really clear on their action items and have the agency to do them. But before we get to that point, we kind of get now to Jennifer mentioned the magic part of the 45 minutes. And this is where part three of it is the coaching part. And I like to think of this I'm, I'm from Ohio and Jennifer lives in the Cincinnati area, an area that I'm very familiar with. And in the Midwest, we say the meat and potatoes. So <laughs> really the coaching part where the magic happens, the meat and potatoes is where we get to dive in and really help them answer those questions, but also get those breakthroughs, those aha moments that us as coaches, coaches live for. So mm-hmm. Jennifer, for kind yeah. of, for the listeners out there, what are some of the biggest questions or like when you're working with somebody and if you had to, if you had to give coaches like maybe five questions to possibly always have in their toolbox to answer people, even if they maybe don't know what to ask, what are some of those? Because strengths is something I'm passionate about and I'm specifically trained in, mm-hmm. every conversation is through the lens of strengths. So we're always asking the question, what do you want to contribute? What do you need to be able to contribute? And so we create a level of intelligence, emotional intelligence, strength intelligence that can say, in this particular situation, in my current role, this is where my frustration is. Okay, how does it line up with your strengths? How does it not line up with what you want to contribute? And what do you need that you don't have? Which drains you completely by the end of the day. And then using just another series of questions, especially Scott's high performer help formula, which I just have posted right next to my desk here. How do you want to ask for what you need? Mm -hmm. What strength does the situation require? So honestly, I've done a lot of coaching. You want to call it meat and potatoes right now? (laughs) How do I want to repurpose my strengths? to manage this current uh, pandemic crisis where we're all in a high level of uncertainty, which strengths will I pull forward? How will I leverage them? How will I choose to contribute? And that seems to take the discussion out of, um, it's just me. It takes it to a higher level of contribution. And I've been asking the question, what is yours to do in this situation? Mm. is um, probably my absolute favorite question to ask. Why, why do you say that's your favorite question? Or what about it? When we're talking about career, 
the first mindset shift is between shifting from I want a job to I want meaningful work. And once we get there, then when we're talking about meaningful work, we want to ask questions that help them identify how they want to contribute. Mm -hmm. Those are three big steps. Mm -hmm. When you can start down that path, then the portal of ideas and opportunities and energy seems to open up. I think that uh, plays into, Jennifer was talking about strengths, but at least one of the biggest things I was mentioning for both me and you is, at least in our top five strengths, ideations there. And where I find Mm -hmm. a lot of coaches and coaching conversation is having that ideation strength or the ability to go, hey, what if it could look like this? Or how can I contribute? Or what can I possibly do or give back? In these situations, helps our clients or helps even your clients as our listeners really move to being more solution-oriented. And they look for the opportunities and they look for the places where they can contribute. They look for the places that they can make a difference. Or the, huh, I've never thought about it that way before. Let me try it possibly this way. What's the Mm -hmm. worst that could happen? Or the Mm -hmm. what ifs. And those are often where we want people to get to because kind of like what we're mentioning so many times, at least now in our times of the COVID-19 crisis, there's so many stresses out there or talking to people at the end of a workday or during their lunch break, and they're in a job that they don't like very much. So it's just this pressure that gets onto them. So it's pulling them into these situations where they can think about those what ifs Mm -hmm. and they can be solution oriented. And that's the magic that I think I was hearing, but I think Mm -hmm. part of what all of us as coaches enjoy. So, okay, we've got the prep work. We set the stage. We've done the meat and potatoes, the coaching of the whole coaching practice and the whole coaching conversation. Now we're getting towards the end and we're checking back in. We had a great conversation. What do we do from there? Essentially, how do you set action items? How do you determine those action items? And is that something that you set as the coach or is that something that the client sets? Great question. I use the accountability worksheet and some clients love it. Some clients could care less. But at the end of the call, we will go through the accountability worksheet if we have time and if the client has interest in that. And that base, that accountability worksheet is kind of a soft version of a SMART goal. So if the client has identified that they are ready to start creating experiments, trying things out, then I will say, well, I go into my coach consultant, my job search consultant or my job career consultant mode. And I say, these would be the best practices. These are the most efficient. There's five different types of things you might consider, which one sounds like it aligns with your strengths most easily. And then they would create the action items on what their initial goal is, and then create action items that directly line up with the best knowledge they have about their strengths. And that's where the smart goal aspect, I'm guessing, comes into play. Yeah. So what the accountability sheet basically looks like is you've got their goal that they're going to do, and then we break it down into the smart aspect. I use something called the what, the when, and the why. So what's going to happen? When is it going to happen? And why is it happening? How does it meet up to our whole goal? But smart is the same kind of aspect, I imagine. All those types Um, of things too. Yeah. How will you leverage your strengths is one of the questions. What might get in your way? Oh, cool. Yeah. And I imagine from there, we're part of what we're doing with these action items is we're getting really specific. And I imagine having them walk through 
what's going to happen, what might get in their way from what they're anticipating and when it's going to happen. As coaches, we want them to basically play out those action items, almost like they're doing them in their heads. So when they actually have to do it, they've already mentally gotten there. They've already thought, okay, here's how I've already been to do that experiment. And, or here's how I've already been to reach out to, to that type of person. When you're setting action items, is there, I'm just, I'm just always curious for you, is there an amount that you set for, for certain people? Is there, do you set like only five or do you set 10 or does it really depend on the person? The very top item on the accountability worksheet is the big goal, the mm. big goal. And then we have a specific goal. From day one, we set a long-term timeline. So I keep watch on that timeline and I check in how are we doing on the timeline? Many timelines have changed in the past three weeks based on what's occurring. Mm -hmm. I actually do everything I possibly can to not assign tasks for the client to take ownership of suggestions I might make. That doesn't mean sometimes I, based on their strengths profile a little bit, if they have a lot of executing strengths, I don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. They're already ready to put all down down all the action items they can think of. However, if they're more strategic thinking, if they tend to overanalyze with analytical, they're more interested in building relationships. Sometimes I do try to be a little more specific. Do you kind of going from those aspects too and almost to like the next step. So we've got those action items sent. Do you follow up with them about, hey, here's how much time each of these you should spend on them or when you're following with the action items, how much time do you usually spend in that follow-up stage? And what does that look like in your coaching practice? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. Um, I took a survey recently about my coaching style. And I am all about autonomy, which works sometimes and it doesn't other times. However, I want them to have ownership. I want them to say, if I don't get something done, it's on me. Because as coaches, especially in career, and is we are not here to get you results. We are here to open the door, show you the path that you can choose to take, and we celebrate when you get the results you want. But as coaches, you know, we are not going to get you your next job. That's not our role. And so, you know, that stay in your lane, coaches. Don't get pulled into feeling like you're responsible for getting the client a job. Mm. So it's not easy. I actually had a client this morning. She was so funny. She goes, you know, I forgot to prepare myself that you're not going to give me the answers today. <laughs> and that I'm talking with someone that's not going to tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to have the answers for myself. <laughs> that's so funny. And I, I did laugh because she goes, I realized before these calls, it's just as important me, for me to bring a different energy. I thought that was fascinating. I guess then kind of tying a bow on the conversation we had and, and really breaking down what a coaching, coaching conversation looks like in a PCC program, we teach something like this and we call it our coaching conversations model. And it's what we essentially mm -hmm. use when we're looking to build really consistent, good, killer coaching conversations <laughs> from every single type of client. But it sounds like when we're, you know, we're breaking things down, part one is all about preparation from your energy to really what are those like tactile types of things that you need to prepare. Step two, and part, sorry, part two is all about, it's steps or parts. It's either one of those. 
they're interchangeable. <laughs> Anyways, part two is all about the beginning of the session, setting those stages, checking in on energies, and re- really deciding what's going to be the most impactful for your time in that day. Part three, the magic meat potatoes. This is where the coaching comes into place. And Jennifer has the wonderful questions of what are you looking to contribute and how does that align with your strengths? And that's just one part, but it gets into really the, the best parts of why we want to become coaches. Part four, it sounds like, and really where we're looking at it in our program, all comes back to now we're checking back in, going, okay, what from all the stuff that we went over, what are those action items that we're going to come away with? And what are we committing to do that's going to put us in the next step forward? Mm-hmm. And then rounding everything out with part five is any follow-up that you've determined. This might be somebody who might need follow-up. They might need more accountability. Or have you as a coach promised to send them also anything too? And as Jennifer put it, with sometimes when as coaches, we want to be more autonomous this might mean that they might be sending something to you. So are you also clear on when, what, and why that happens? So going through that model, this is something that Jennifer and I both use when we're looking at coaches to certify through our programs, but also it's something me specifically, I use on every single one of my coaching conversations. You can take bits and parts of that, use it in your coaching styles, but also use it with your clients today. So Moving on to the strengths piece, which actually I'm super excited about. We talked about the strengths and what your top five were. And to give a little bit of background too, Jennifer mentioned that, and she might've mentioned this in the previous podcast episodes that you've been on, is that you are specifically trained in strengths coaching. That's right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. For you, I guess, what makes strengths coaching so enjoyable? In many ways, once I... Well, actually... I have an idea what their strengths are during mm. our conversation. <laughs> and then I sometimes I write it down and see if I was right. But it gives us as coaches an inside look. That doesn't mean that my version of ideation is Philip's version of ideation. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean. And so with that, there is a tremendous amount of curiosity. I do pair it with a VIA, which is values in action, viame.org, so that we talk about strengths and values. And if you look at the Strengths Finder 2.0, you'll see the very last section of each strength is how to work with people that have activator. Mm. And it gives you three key points. Not that I have these memorized. But I then go into mind and say, this individual has activator, Scott, for example. <laughs> and so I know what those three things are that leverage his strengths, that bring out his strengths. Mm-hmm. And I have a list maybe in my notebook, just in my mind or whatever. And I make sure that I do three to five of those things during our coaching call. And it is, <laughs> it's like feeding candy to a baby. <laughs> because when you when you can really meet their needs and draw out their strengths, their energy goes through the roof. And now you're talking. Now you're getting down to energy that they want to contribute wherever they are. And that is very fun to me, just to be able to turn those lights on. I find it so enjoyable to talk about strengths, but I find so many of the coaches that I talk to, their favorite part. And all the coaching process is to talk about strengths because it's so enjoyable. 
you find these moments with people, you get those aha types of moments, but it somewhat changes the the energy in the conversation too, right? They they come into it and part of our coaching is we have them work through essentially really in these career types of spaces, we're getting them to places is action oriented. But also people don't, at least one of the things that coaches or even our clients come into play with, it's also we have them, how do they feel during the whole process and how are they feeling about the momentum as they're going? And that impacts their ability of what they believe they can accomplish, but also we're moving them towards an identity of who they're looking to become. When we're doing strengths coaching for our PCC program, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions that most coaches have about strengths coaching or even client strengths? My belief about strengths in general is that they're the tools of your personality that you came into this world with. And over time, you take those natural talents and you build and invest in them until they are strengths. And they're identifiable through an assessment if you're over 16. All right. The misconception is that our role is to immediately connect specific strengths with specific job titles, specific job descriptions, specific career paths. The misconception is that when we go there too quickly, we lose the most energetic momentum we could ever have by giving space and time for the client to own who they are Hmm. and then open the door for them to consider things. However, if we start saying, well, that sounds like you'd be a good data analyst. That sounds like you'd be really amazing as a graphic designer. We immediately truncate the creative process for them of discovering who they really are on the inside. So the misconception is that, and it was never designed, by the way, strengths was never designed to be something that determines a career path. In fact, it is actually never to be used by HR as an entrance assessment to see if that person's a good fit for the role. And so, however, Without the energy of strengths, any career path you choose is going to be more difficult to make a decision and step into. Is that helpful, Philip? Am I making that? Yeah, that's it's super helpful because you know one of the things we do as coaches, but even internally, it happened in your career, and, and Jennifer's mentioned it too. One of the biggest tools that we use is Strength Finders 2.0 to get their strengths, but it does a really great job at helping them articulate it. And for so many people, they come into conversations and they go, all right, I've taken the test, but I don't really know what to do with it. It says I'm really great at people. It says I'd be great at this. It says I'd be great at that. And so many people attach that to job titles or they might attach that to industries. But I think what you're mentioning, Jennifer, is and when we're doing strengths training, one of the biggest things we're doing is pulling out the patterns of where they have found the most enjoyment that are regardless of job title. It's more about Mm -hmm. finding those specific situations for them, right? It's the, we use an analogy in in the behind the scenes of our program, there's an iceberg and, you know, we all think that, hey, these are the visible talents that we have. But if you actually look underneath of, all right, if I'm really good at Excel, like that's above the line, but really looking below the line is, hey, actually, I might be really good at getting really specific pieces and gathering all information and then presenting it to boss or supervisor or my whole team. And then we make strategic decisions there. And that's just one example that I find. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. So often I'll say, what was the most rewarding experience or project you have been a part of? Now let's look at the factors that contributed to that. At the same time, Philip, we train as career coaches, we train our clients to then, when they are in an interview situation, pivot, ask the interviewer, what's the most rewarding project you've worked on? What was meaningful to you? And as we've trained our clients through the strengths uh, discovery and awareness, they then, when they're in an interview process or a team building process, can begin to see the strengths of others and learn how to activate and leverage and access those strengths, even in the interview process. It's we're bringing it back and attaching it to real world stakes and situations. So we're looking at these situations and going, all right, when has that rewarding spot been for you? Or Mm -hmm. how does that look like? And I love that question and asking it interview sense because it offers, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, one of my biggest strengths is I'm a relator. And I love to always talk to people and find, all right, so where where are they most in common? How can I how can I find and start a conversation? And as you saw it here in this podcast, I mentioned that me and Jennifer are from and live in the Cincinnati or live have lived in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. So you even see it in those places too. So it's we're really bringing out those patterns of where we essentially see their most highest enjoyment and fulfillment from their talents, their interests, from where it's really mm-hmm. lighting them up, and then also attach that to real world specifics and times where that's been the most rewarding. And often this might happen once, it could happen many times, but I imagine then we're just connecting multiple strengths back into two, right? They, I think Jennifer mentioned they don't ever, one doesn't show up. They often are like intermingled and they show yeah. up together. Yes, <laughs> which you probably know is that I've been manipulating you for a long time. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. She's been doing it for a long time. (laughs) I know your strengths. She does. And so that I know when you and I have a conversation, it needs to be like an intimate one-on-one thing. Mm -hmm. And I need to put my woo off to the side and not bring it to the table and give you some ideas, teach you She's referring to her notes right now, guys. You can't see us talking, but she's looking down at her notes and going... Here's the notes I've taken on Philip and how I know I need to have a conversation with him. <laughs> and, and so actually, that is the power of having the strengths as a part of your career coaching mm-hmm. right there. Because when Philip leaves this conversation, he feels seen and heard in a way that the rest of the world may not be as capable of delivering. And if there's one most valuable, it's like gold that we can share with our clients is to be seen and heard on a very deep level, the core of who they are. And when we give that gift, there's research that says when an individual does not receive that, they're always seeking something that they can't find in various ways. And we find a lot of people in career search have never had the kind of validation, acknowledgement of the truth of who they are on the level of their strengths. And once they receive that from a coach or someone else, it's like it lights a fire under them that enables them to see what's possible and step into it. I couldn't think of a better way to end the podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I want to say thank you very much, Jennifer, for coming on here and sharing, <laughs> sharing a little bit more behind the scenes of how we work together, but also sharing a little bit behind the scenes of our program and also your practices too. So thank you very, very much for your time, for sharing this information, but more so, I've told this Jennifer offline, but I'm super glad she's part of our team. And if you get the chance to meet her, you definitely should. So I very, very much appreciate your time, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Philip. (laughs) Of course. And thanks so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. And we'll see you later, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to How to Become a Career Coach. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. For more resources, go to becomeacareercoach.com. Thank you.